So tonight, I want to address two specific questions. Uh, and the questions are simply this. At the end of this evening, you're going to have these two questions answered for you. Okay, here's what they are. Can a prophet get it wrong? And is that okay? That's the first question. Now, the second question is like it. Do I have to know that it's God before I act on it or before I give a prophetic word to somebody? Now, there's two questions. First one, can a prophet make a mistake? Is it, is it okay to get it wrong? Now, how many of you on that one, you've heard a teaching that says, if a prophet gets it wrong, that person is supposed to be stoned. Anybody heard that? A lot of you. Now, now, that's actually a popular teaching. They teach it at one of the, the local seminaries here. I've actually looked at the slides of one of the seminary professors where he says, if a prophet gets it wrong, in the Old Testament, they would stone that prophet. I'm here to tell you that is absolutely not true. And I'm going to prove it to you. Second thing, do I have to know that it's God? All right? I think that one's going to be answered really quickly for many of you. And many of you already know the answers to these questions, but I want to at least give you the biblical framework for these things. Cool? All right. Where do they get this idea that you have to stone a prophet? Two passages uh, in the Old Testament are where they're getting this from. One of them comes from Deuteronomy 13, and one of them comes from Deuteronomy 18. So let's start by going to Deuteronomy 13. Uh I'm so sorry, Luke. I've totally rearranged all the scriptures I gave you. We're going to go in a completely different order. Start in Deuteronomy 13. Now, this is the passage that talks about stoning people. So this is good, fun church right here. Uh, so it's Deuteronomy 13.1. says, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder. I don't have this memorized. You're going to have to help me here. <laughs> and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass. So th did the person get it right or get it wrong? Okay. And it comes to pass saying, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. Uh, but that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he is taught rebellion against the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God has led you. Um, commanded, so you shall purge the evil from your midst. Now, uh, I think, I don't see a stone in there. Maybe I've got that part wrong. But I know there's some stoning that goes on. Um, so what's the key here? Is it a person who gets it right or gets it wrong that's supposed to be done away with? It's the person who gets it right. There actually is a sign and wonder. They actually do predict things about the future. But what is the outcome of their power? They lead you away from God, not to him. What is a false prophet? It's not somebody who gets it wrong. It's somebody who gets it right. 
But that false prophet is leading you to either worship another god, and oftentimes they'll lead you to worship themselves. When you're with a real false prophet, here's what it'll feel like. How should I question what they're saying? I've seen all these signs and wonders. You'll feel like this. To question what they're saying is to question God. Do you see how subtle it is? And they've slowly taken you away from following God to following them. And that's where it gets dangerous. Um, and we see this happen. They actually counsel rebellion against God. They lead you away from God. This happens with uh, a guy named Hananiah. How many of you know who Hananiah is? All right, well, let's check this out. This is in uh, Jeremiah. We're going to look at, there's a lot of scripture tonight, so you just have your Bibles out. Get ready to play Bible roulette. Um, this is in Jeremiah 28. It says, then Jeremiah, this is verse 15 through verse 17. It says, then Jeremiah said to Hananiah the prophet, listen now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you. You have made this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I'm about to remove you from the face of the earth. This year you're going to die because you have counseled rebellion against the Lord. So Hananiah the prophet died in the same year in the seventh month. Now, if you look at everything that Hananiah prophesied, if you look at his history, he was actually called to be a prophet of the Lord to the nation of Israel. But he went sideways. He started prophesying for his own gain in a way that led people to, to walk away from God and to follow Hananiah. He was actually counseling people into rebellion. Don't worry about your false gods. Don't worry about the worship of Baal or Astra. You can keep worshiping these gods and sacrificing your children on the altars of these gods. Nebuchadnezzar is not going to come and, and destroy Israel. See, this is what Hananiah had fallen into. It wasn't about listening to the Lord and delivering his word. It was about Hananiah getting what Hananiah wanted. Um, here's the next one. Let's go over to Deuteronomy 18. I think this is the one that gets used the most. Now, we, we've quoted this passage before. Remember I said that people often fall into two mistakes when it comes to hearing God. Either they, they get scared because of what it means for them, and they prefer to have other people hear God on their behalf, right? Or uh, the leaders who hear God want to keep control, and so they don't let others in the community hear from God because they feel like their control would be threatened by others hearing. And we don't want to make either of those mistakes. Everybody in this room needs to hear God for direction in their life. You do not want to rely on somebody else, somebody else to hear God on your behalf, which is exactly what the Israelites did in this situation. It says in verse 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet. Now, this is God speaking to Moses. Well, actually, this is Moses speaking to the people. But, but it was because God spoke to Moses. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from amongst you, from your countrymen, and you shall listen to him. For this is according to all that you asked of God on, in Horeb, on the Mount Horeb, on the day of assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord, my God. Let me not see his great fire, or I will die. See, they were afraid to hear God's voice. They said, we don't want to do this anymore. Instead, Moses, you go up and you listen and let us know what he says. So, 
Let us not see that great fire anymore or I will die. The Lord said to me, they have spoken well. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you and I will put my words in his mouth. He shall speak to them all that I command him and it shall come about that whoever, whoever will not listen to my words which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who speaks a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. Now, what does that sound like? At first glance, he says, a prophet who speaks something presumptuously in my name that I've not commanded him, that prophet shall die. Does it sound like a person who gets it wrong is going to get killed? At first glance at this verse, is that what it sounds like? How many of you are kind of scared to prophesy now? Okay. At first glance, that's what it looks like until you start to see the context. But let's keep reading. You, shall, you may say in your heart, how will I know the word which the Lord has not spoken? Well, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come about or come true, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. Okay, what's your response to the person prophesying who gets it wrong? Don't be afraid. But for the person who speaks it presumptuously, what, is it, what does it say about that person? They're going to die. Dun, dun, dun. Question for you. If you made one little mistake in prophecy, and that would result in your immediate death, how many of you would like to be prophets? Anybody signing up for that job? No, nobody's going to sign up for that job. But what if, I'm, what if that passage doesn't actually say what you think it says? First off, the, the key is in the very beginning of the passage. What kind of prophet is going to get raised up? Go look at it again. I'm going to raise up a prophet... Who's God speaking to? Moses. I'm going to raise up a prophet like Moses. Question for you. Was Moses just any old prophet? Is there anything that might be unique about Moses that may not have been true of all the other prophets? Well, we know that Moses brought in the old covenant, right? The Mosaic covenant. But there were some unique things about Moses that you won't see happen with any other prophets. Let's, let's look at Moses' calling. Go to um, Exodus, Exodus chapter 4. So Moses shows up to a burning bush, right? This is one of the most fun stories to me just because of how weird it is. He says... Uh, the anger of the Lord burned against Moses. He said, now, now, here's the thing. Let me back up a second. Um, in this situation, God calls Moses to be a prophet to the nation of Israel. He says, you're going to deliver my people out of the hand of the Egyptians, and you're going to bring them to this mountain. Which mountain was it? Mount Horeb, right? That's where the assembly took place. You're going to bring all the people to Mount Horeb, and there they're going to worship me. Moses begins to ask these questions like, well, how do I know this is going to happen? Anybody know what God says to Moses? 
well, you'll know when you and all of Israel are worshiping me here on this mountain. He says, okay, well, uh, listen, I think you might have the wrong guy. See, this is everybody not wanting to hear God for themselves. I think you might have the wrong guy. I, I've got a speech impediment. And so here's where this verse picks up. It says, then the anger was, of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he's going to be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. I will be with your mouth. I will be with his mouth. I will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. Check that out. Moses is the only prophet I know of in the Old Testament who had his own prophet. He shall be as your prophet, and you shall be as God to him. Do we know of any other people that had that privilege? So when it says a prophet like Moses, who had his own little mini prophets. Furthermore, check this out. If you go to Deuteronomy 34, you're going to see something super interesting here. This is uh, chapter 34, verse 9 through verse 10. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. And the sons of Israel listened to him. Now this is Moses passing off the torch to Joshua. Joshua is going to be the next leader of the people of Israel. But here's what it says about, uh, it's going to give you a little comparison of Joshua and Moses. It says, he laid hands on him so that the sons of Israel listened to him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Since that time, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. What does it mean to know somebody face to face? It means a, a full-on encounter, right? You, you could speak with God openly, right? As man speaks with man, face to face. Check it out. The same thing is repeated in Numbers. Look at Numbers chapter 12, verse 5 through verse 8. It says, Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the doorway of the tent. He called Aaron and Miriam, and he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I will speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is the most faithful in all of my household, and with him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly and not, I love this right here, check this out, and not in dark sayings. He beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Okay, how does God speak with all of the other prophets? Dark sayings. Another word for that could be dark riddles. Why do they use the word dark? Because it means it's not completely made known, right? If something's in darkness, you can't see it clearly, right? So with all of the other prophets, he would speak to them in visions, in dreams, Things which require interpretation. Things which, which you have to pray through and make sense of. Things that are still dark. But with Moses, God speaks face to face. 
So in Deuteronomy 18, when he says, I'm going to raise up for you a prophet that's like Moses. Is this just any old prophet? No, we know this. We know this because the early church, well, specifically the early Jews at the time of Jesus, they, had a, they, they saw that Deuteronomy 18 was a prophecy that was meant to be fulfilled. It means it hadn't been fulfilled yet even in the time of Jesus because they come up to John the Baptist and they start asking him a series of questions. You know, John the Baptist, you're baptizing all these people. There's clearly revival taking place. Who are you? So they start asking him a series of questions. Uh, are you the Messiah? Any of you ever seen the Monty Python movie, The Life of Brian? How many of you have seen that movie? Where the, you got this guy, Brian, who's born in the manger next to Jesus. And his whole life, he gets mistaken for the Messiah. And so they start asking him, are you the Messiah? He goes, no, 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 I'm not the Messiah. I don't know why they had English accents. No, 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 I'm not the Messiah. And they're like, look, he's so humble, he won't even admit he's the Messiah. He's like, all right, fine, I am the Messiah. Look, I told you so. So they're asking John the Baptist, similarly, are you the Messiah? He's like, listen, I'm not the Messiah. You know what the next question they ask him? Are you the prophet? Well, who is the prophet? Deuteronomy 18. They were expecting a prophet to come in just like Moses. Moses brought in the old covenant. He brought in the law. Guess what this new prophet was going to bring in? The new covenant. Grace. Check this out. Jesus shows up on the scene. He pulls his disciples together. He says, no longer do I call you a slave, for a slave doesn't know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For everything I hear from the Father, I make known to you. Who also had their own little prophets? Who is the prophet, the one like Moses? It's Jesus. But not only that, we have evidence all throughout the Old Testament of prophets who were literally good prophets who got words that were wrong. And God didn't strike them down dead. I can give you a couple of examples. Um, how many of you know who uh, Nathan is? You remember when, when David had this vision to uh, create, he was looking at the, the wealth that Israel had collected. He was looking at his own wealth and the king, or the house that he dwelled in, right? And he's looking over at where the dwelling of the Lord is in this little tent. And he has this, this great idea come up to his head, and it's, maybe I should build a house for God. Look at all the wealth he's given me. I need to give him back something that's worthy of him. And so he, he gets this idea Nathan the prophet comes to him because what do you do when you have an idea, when you need wisdom to know whether or not you should do something? Who do you go to? The prophet of God. So he goes to the prophet and he says, I've got this idea for a temple. I want to build it. What do you say? Nathan says, go and do all that is in your heart, O king, for the Lord your God is with you. Question for you. If the prophet of the Lord says, go and do all that's in your heart, the Lord your God is with you. What, as a king who was inquiring of the Lord through the prophet, what does that sound like to you? Permission, right? The word of the Lord has, Lord has spoken. So he, David starts laying out his plans. That night, Nathan has a dream. Do you know what God tells him in the dream? He says, David is not the guy who's going to build my temple. 
for he is a man of bloodshed. Remember David killed Uriah. He murdered uh, Bathsheba's wife. No, that's not right. Bathsheba's husband stole his wife. He says his son will build the temple. Did Nathan get it right? Did God strike him dead for it? He did speak something presumptuously, but what was his heart? What was the motivation? Was he leading David into rebellion? No. Uh, we see another thing play out. Now, now, some people have argued with me saying, well, that doesn't mean he got it wrong. It just means that, that he made a, a presumption, but he didn't say, thus saith the Lord. Okay, okay, maybe he didn't. But if I was inquiring of the king, I mean, if I was inquiring of the prophet as the king about something I'm about to do that's going to cost Israel a lot of money, and I mean a, a lot of money, don't you think that that next word that comes out of that prophet's mouth to me would feel like the word of the Lord? All right, but, we, but here's the thing. We don't have to use him. Let me give you some other examples. Um, check this out. This is, um, this is Jeremiah. How many of you would agree that Jeremiah is a prophet? He's not just any prophet, right? He's one of the major prophets. I think they say major just because it consumes so much of the Old Testament. Uh, check this out. He says this about Zedekiah. No, first let's start with, there's two different kings he prophesies to. One of them is Jehoiakim. I, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. Forgive me. He said, uh, here's what he says of him. This is in Jeremiah 22, verse 18 through 19. And then uh, you can look at uh, chapter 36 uh, to find out how this is fulfilled. I'm not going to open up the scriptures for you. I'm just going to simply summarize it for you. It is said that no one would mourn this king's death, that his corpse would be dragged around and thrown outside of the gates of Jerusalem. He'd be left unburied and decomposed in the sun. Not only this, but Jeremiah prophesied that no descendant of his would sit on the throne. Do you know what happened to Jehoiakim or something like that? Check this out. He received a proper burial. His son succeeded him as king. What do you do with that? Sounds like Jeremiah got it wrong. How many of you would agree that Jeremiah was a prophet? Here's another one. This is to Zedekiah. Uh, he said that you will not die by the sword, but you will rather die peacefully. And the Lord even adds that the people will mourn his death. Do you know what happened to Zedekiah? He was captured by the Babylonians. He had his eyes plucked out, and he died in prison. Just the opposite of what Jeremiah had prophesied. Did God strike Jeremiah down dead? Here's another question for you. If a prophet is supposed to be struck down dead for giving it wrong, getting it wrong, how many of you would ever want to be a prophet? None of us. Also, why don't we have the same standard for teachers? Got any teachers out there who teach things wrong on occasion? Eh, I'm one of them. I've taught things that are false, and I've had to go back and correct myself later on. And there are some things that I've taught that it's so far back, I couldn't possibly clean up the mess I've made. Does that mean I should not be a teacher? No. See, is it my intention to lead people astray? No. Uh, let me move on to something else here. Does a person have to know that it's God before they give a prophetic word? Um, 
Check this out. The one prophet we know of in the Old Testament that never got anything wrong is a guy named Samuel. What is it? What are we told in the scriptures about Samuel? It said that none of his words fell to the ground. I remember I was at a uh, I was doing a conference in Ethiopia with all these pastors, and I was making this same argument that that um, that a person who gets it wrong is not a false prophet, just means they got it wrong. And all of these pastors were wanting to argue with me. Now, you've got to understand, in Ethiopia, they, if a prophet speaks, it is the Lord. Okay? No prophet is, is uh, I mean, this is the tough thing, is the pressure on the prophets, if they actually get something wrong, they'll look at the person and tell them that the person is wrong. And, and so they are unpastorable. The pastors cannot pastor the prophets. So you have these competing ministries in, in Ethiopia where you've got these uh, prophetic voices. And I'm talking crazy prophetic voices. Like tell you your social security number. They don't have those there. But they'll tell you your, your credit card numbers and your addresses and things like that. That's how accurate they are. Um, and so they will literally take people away from the church because they cannot be corrected. Because of fear of this one thing. If they get it wrong, they're considered a false prophet. So I was there trying to bring correction to this. And I had all these pastors that wanted to argue with me. And they had higher pedigrees than I do. So I was asking the Lord, like, okay, God, they're going to ask some questions that are going to challenge me. I need your help. And sure enough, it happened. This guy says, well, what about Samuel? Says that none of his words fell to the ground. I said, okay, God, he's got me. None of his words. He never got anything wrong. What am I supposed to do about that? You know what the Lord said to me? said, why else would I have pointed it out if he wasn't the exception to the rule? Why do the, does the author take that extra length to say that none of Samuel's words fell to the ground unless it was pointing out something unique about Samuel that wasn't true of everybody else? That he was the only one whose words never fell to the ground. Otherwise, he wouldn't make mention of it, right? So anyway, I got away with it. Uh, okay, let's go to this. So Samuel, do you have to know that it's God before you prophesy? 1 Samuel chapter 3, go there. It says, now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and visions were infrequent. Now here's something key to note. This is looked upon as a bad thing, a unique time in history where, where words from God were rare. That's never been God's intention for mankind. His desire was that all would hear the Lord. Visions were rare. They were infrequent. It says, it happened at that time that as Eli was lying down in his place and his eyesight had begun to grow dim and he could not see well, says, the lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. That the Lord called Samuel, and he said, here I am. He ran into Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel rose, went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he answered, I did not call you. Uh, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord yet been revealed to him. So the Lord called Samuel again for a third time. He arose, went to Eli, and said, Here I am, for you called me. 
Then Eli discerned that the Lord was calling the boy. Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be if he calls you that you say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Then the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. How many times did Samuel hear God's voice before he finally realized who was speaking to him? Three times he heard God's voice and he thought it was the voice of Eli. Job 33, 14 says this, God speaks here one way, there another, though man may not perceive it. Which tells us that God speaks in such a way that you might not realize it's him speaking to you. One of the ways I'd say that God speaks to me most often is through people who are close friends with me. And whenever God needs to bring a correction to my life, that's who he does it through. Uh, and I take it as the Lord speaking to me. Another, another passage that's uh, in the New Testament, I think this one is brilliant. This is in John chapter 12, verse 27 through 30. He says, now my soul, this is Jesus speaking, my soul has become troubled, so what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. So Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from, came out of heaven. I have glorified it, I will glorify it again. All right, is God speaking here? How many of you would agree? God just spoke. I have glorified it, I will glorify it again. But here's what people heard. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered and said, this voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. What did the people hear? Some just heard thunder. Some thought it was the voice of an angel. Who spoke? Now, if God can speak through, I mean, literally through a cloud, like from the heavens, a voice booming from the heavens, and people not realize it's him. What does that say about all of us when he speaks to us in visions and things that are easily dismissible? It means most of the time we're not going to know it's God. Again, with Moses. God, how do I know these things will, come, will happen? Well, you'll know, Moses, when you and all of Israel are here on this mountain worshiping me. To me, that's not much of a guarantee. Uh, and this is, I think, is the most strong passage for this. How do you, when, how do you know if it's God? Or, or when are you allowed to give a word? Go to Jeremiah chapter 32. It's a lot of scripture tonight. This is verse 6 through verse 8. Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, is coming to you, saying, Buy for yourself my field, which is an Anathoth, for you have the right of redemption to buy it. Then Hanamel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the guard, according to the word of the Lord, and said to me, Buy my field. Please, it's an Anathoth, which is in the land of Benjamin, for you have the right of possession, and the redemption is yours. Go buy it for yourself. Check out these words. Then I knew it was the Lord. When did Jeremiah realize it was, it was God? After he did what the word of the Lord had said. 
Check it out. The word of the Lord came to me saying, going by this field, when does Jeremiah actually know it's the word of the Lord? After the word came to pass. If Jeremiah, a prophet of the Lord, didn't know for sure that it was God until after he did what the word said, what does that say about all of us? It means most of the time we're not going to know until after we do what it says. This has been my experience, and it is the most frustrating experience across the board. There's not a time where I get up to prophesy for the most part, where I know that it's God. Almost every single time when I've gotten incredibly specific information, I think to myself, I'm going to look like an incredible idiot in about five seconds. Uh, I was at a church in Corpus Christi on Wednesday night doing a, an activation in the prophetic. And um, while I was in worship, I got this name, Julie and uh, sciatic pain, sciatic condition. So I got up there in front of this whole church. And you got to realize, when you get a word like that, you're either right or you're wrong. How many of you would agree? Words like that, when you get a name and a condition. Like, what are the chances of a Julie having that particular condition at that church? What are the chances of somebody knowing a Julie with that particular condition that goes to that church? Pretty rare, right? You're either right or you're wrong. You get up there. I mean, this is what it looks like. I love what John Wimber used to say. He used to say, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Because you are about to crucify your reputation in that one moment. Either you heard God or you didn't. Um, I said, is there a Julie here and you have an issue with uh, a, a sciatic problem, pain in your sciatic? Uh, and nobody responds. Now, I can't tell you how many times this has happened, but this is continuing to happen to me. Like since 2017, the Lord keeps doing this. Uh, I said, is there anybody who knows a Julie that has sciatic pain? I said, uh, I, I've been seeing God heal people over the phone. I don't know why, but it's like he won't give them to me there. He makes me look a little foolish first, and then, and then he does something cool. Um, and sure enough, this lady gets her sister, Julie, on the phone. I grab the phone, I bring it over to the microphone, I get her on speaker. I said, hi, Julie. She says, hi. I said, uh, God gave me your name, and he gave me uh, uh, a word that you had pain uh, because of a sciatic issue. I go, what do you think about that? She says, I knew I should have come to church tonight. <laughs> I think that's right. Shame on you. It's too bad. You're going to miss that healing, Julie. It's too bad. So, no, I didn't. I didn't do that. I, we prayed for her over the phone, and she gets healed, and then she shows up to church. Uh, they literally left the restaurant they were at and, and came to church right then and there. Now, how many of you know, like, that's a step of faith. But here's the thing. How many of you want to see God? You want to know that you know that you know that you've experienced God? I'm going to give you the answer to figure out how to do that. You want an encounter with God. How many of you would like some sort of thing where you know that God has acted? It's, it's real easy. Here's how you can have one of those kind of experiences. Step out in such a way that it requires God for it to happen. Do you hear me? Step out in such a way that it requires God for it to happen. 
One of the greatest passages in Scripture that I know of is when Peter stepped out of the boat. Did Peter get any sort of formal document saying, yes, you will see this happen, Peter. You will step out of this boat and you will walk on water. Otherwise, I will do X, Y, Z. Did he get any sort of like ratified contract with Jesus? Something to know that when he steps out on the water, it's going to hold him up. Now, here's the thing. What was taking place outside of that boat when Jesus stepped out of it? There was a storm, which means, oh, and what time of the, the day was this? Yeah, that means you step out of this boat, you drowning. Hear what I'm saying? You don't have to quite do something death-defying. Instead, do something reputation-crucifying. That makes sense? Ask God. Like literally, inquire of the Lord. See if he'll speak to you. And then when he tells you to do something, do it. Despite how, how scary it is. Despite how much it, it may crucify your reputation. And just a little word of encouragement, you don't want your reputation anyway. We've never been that good at protecting our own reputation. The sooner that thing can die, the sooner God can resurrect something in you that you could have never been on your own. Uh, there's this, this thing about um, a rabbi and his disciples. Uh, when a rabbi would choose disciples, it wasn't just that they would know what the rabbi knew. It's that they would do what the rabbi did. So when you see Peter looking out and seeing Jesus, and he says, if that's really you, if it's really you, then tell me to come out on the water and walk with you. Because Peter knew one thing. He wouldn't just know what the rabbi knew. He would do what the rabbi does. And if that's really the rabbi walking on water, then that meant Peter gets to walk on water too. See, that's cool faith right there. And this, what this means for you is that everything you saw Jesus do is yours. How many of you would consider yourself a disciple of Christ? Then that means it's all yours, all of those things that Jesus did. So from now on, when you go to your Gospels, instead of looking at it as like a really great manual, I want you to start looking at it like it's a shopping list. And you get to go shopping for the kind of miracles that God wants to do through you. Every, Jesus, every miracle that Jesus did is now on your list to shop through. So what are some of the things that Jesus did? Well, he, he healed the sick. That's now on your list. He cast out demons. That's now on your list. He cleansed the lepers. Got any kids with acne? That was included in leprosy. That's now on your list. Dealt with any problems with uh, heat in Texas? That's now on your list. Please, God, let that be on your list. <laughs> this heat has been miserable. Uh, the dead get raised. That's on your list. Any one of those things that Jesus did is now yours for the taking. 